Hi there, my name's Justin. I am a current CT1. Hi, I'm Tom. I'm a respiratory registrar. So welcome to the Optimize uh, interview knowledge videos for IMTs. Uh, this particular section is the respiratory section on pneumothorax. So we're just going to talk through uh, pneumothorax, um, what you'd expect to know at an interview level for an SHO or an IMT, uh, what the pertinent assessment points, what the investigations are and how you would manage it. So I think broadly we would from a definition point of view, classify pneumothorax into, into primary and secondary uh, based on whether or not you've had previous uh, coexisting lung disease. Um, in terms of the assessment, so I guess the important things to think about, you'll probably get a stem uh, which might suggest uh, someone with potentially pluritic chest pain, uh, shortness of breath uh, or you know seeing whether or not they've you know history of trauma or anything like that to the chest wall um, I think the sort of I think these are the main sort of history points there Tom is, is there anything else that you would you know want to add to to the history um, I think smoking status uh, really really important um, obviously that may be slightly linked to um, whether it's primary or secondary but obviously um, smoking is a big risk factor in itself for being um, for, for having a primary pneumothorax. Um, would also mention, you know, other things like their height, um, um, because obviously if you're taller, you're at more risk of pneumothorax. Also, if you've got any connective tissue disease or Marfan's disease or something like that, could put you at increased risk. Okay, uh, moving on to the uh, examination. So I think before you start, you know, even going into anything, you want to know what their vital signs are. So how hypoxic they are, uh, whether what, what their respiratory rate is like, whether they're hemodynamically stable in terms of their BP and their heart rate. Uh, and I think you'll get some sort of good uh, information just by looking at the patient from their bedside, looking at how much uh, the work of breathing is, uh, whether or not they're using um, their neck muscles, so sternocleidomastoid or the diaphragm uh, to try and breathe, might give you an indication of what it's like. But also looking from the end of bed, uh, looking at their chest wall as well, whether that's rising and falling sort of symmetrically um, as well. Um, in terms of examination, uh, you want to know in particular, uh, looking at the trachea, whether they've got any tracheal devia deviation, uh, as that might suggest uh, a potential tension pneumothorax. Um, you want to think about uh, chest expansion uh, uh, to see whether or not you, the, the both sides of the chest are expanding equally. Uh, moving on to percussion, you'd want to see whether or not they've got any hyperresonance, uh, particularly comparing from one side to the other. Um, as, as a sort of comparator and in terms of auscultation as well, looking at whether there is any sort of ipsilateral uh, reduced air entry. Um, so in a pneumothorax, I think in, in, a, in a pneumothorax scenario, you wouldn't be expected to sort of definitely go into, you know, 
a very detailed examination because in most interview scenarios, patients tend not to be very well with pneumothorax. So they kind of want you to sort of narrow in on the, the important bits and make sure, you know, you're do, doing just, you know, what, what's necessary for, for the patient that, that's unwell. So thinking about investigations, so uh, if you would want, so I guess the important point to mention at this point, if they're hemodynamically unstable and you're suspecting a tension pneumothorax, uh, you know, to, to think about going straight into management or escalating certainly almost almost immediately uh, instead of sort of uh, wasting time trying to get a chest x-ray organized and trying to you know get an arterial blood gas for instance uh, you'd want to just escalate that immediately and I think you can make that clear in the interview as well and I think that would be you know a, a fair fair thing to say. Yeah I completely agree I mean I think in any interview scenario anything immediately life-threatening um, you should treat as able and and escalate um, immediately. So, you know, if you had a pneumothorax scenario and they said that their blood pressure is 80 over 40 and their heart rate is 120, then you'd immediately say, I'm worried this man is tensioning. I would insert a wide bore cannula into his second intercostal space in the midclavicular line um, and urgently call for senior help, probably with a 2222 call. Um, so yeah, act immediately if there's if there's a tension. So if the patient is stable, then you then you know that th then probably you would want to get some investigations. Or if it isn't, and you know immediately clear that this is pneumothorax, then then obviously investigations are, are the way to go. So uh, probably the most important thing uh, is getting a chest X-ray, uh, that can be sort of diagnosis uh, diagnostic for the pneumothorax. Uh, you want to get their bloods. Uh, uh, importantly, uh, getting their clotting as well. If you're thinking about, you know, uh, doing a pleural aspiration or a chest strain, so looking at what their INR is, uh, what uh, how many, what what their platelets are like um, before you know you you start any any sort of definitive management of their pneumothorax. Um, you could potentially consider an ABG, particularly if they've got COPD, um, and in particularly trauma, I think uh, doing a bedside sort of uh, echo assessment as well, I think it's becoming quite popular. Uh, and, and that's something maybe you could mention just as a side. Um, yeah, I mean, I think any um, any suggestion of a traumatic pneumothorax, I think as medics, we should stay well away from it and let the trauma team deal with it. Um, that'd be my only point on that. Ultrasound is um, is useful. Um, but you know it's it is quite user dependent, um, and you know it would be you need you need to be fairly expert in it to confidently rule in or out a small pneumothorax uh, with ultrasound. Um, so especially in an interview setting, I think I'll probably um, stay away from that. Um. Was there anything else uh, investigation-wise that, that you wanted to? Uh, no, I mean, I think, as you said, the chest X-ray is key. We can hopefully identify the pneumothorax. Um, I think the only other thing to mention would be it can give you a lot of other information, particularly about any other coexistent lung disease. Um, so, you know, A, is there a pneumothorax? Yes or no. But B, do they have any other obvious respiratory disease which would clinch the diagnosis of secondary pneumothorax? So do they have 
dreadful ILD? Is there lots of, um, you know, bullet emphysema um, with big bullet as well? That's also a bit of a, a caution for a sort of false positive of a pneumothorax on an X-ray. Um, and, you know, you don't want to be sticking a needle into a big bullet because then they'll end up having a pneumothorax if they don't already. Uh, so in terms of the management, so I think the BTS uh, has quite good flow chart uh, on the management of pneumothorax. And that was something that I used when I was revising for, for my interviews. Uh, so definitely look that up. Uh, briefly, uh, basically, if it's tension pneumothorax, uh, I think mentioned before, Tom, just get sort of help immediately think about putting out the double twos uh, and think about immediately needle decompressing them. Uh, if it is a tension pneumothorax. Uh, if not, uh, if not, then uh, you want to think about whether or not they are, you know, it's a primary uh, primary pneumothorax or a secondary pneumothorax. Uh, and that guidance is based on uh, the chest X-ray uh, appearances. Um, so essentially, if they've got primary pneumothorax, so no pre-existing lung disease. Uh, if you've got um, a border of greater than two centimetres, uh, then you'd want to consider pleural aspiration. Uh, but if it's less than two centimetres uh, for a primary pneumothorax, then you can consider discharge with a review at outpatient clinic. With the, with the caveat there, obviously, if the um, pleural aspiration fails, um, then proceed to gesturing. And for secondary, uh, that is patients with pre-existing lung disease, uh, if they've got a sort of margin on chest x-ray that's greater than two centimetres, then you want to think about a chest drain. Uh, if it's one to two centimetres, then think about a pleural aspiration. And if it's less than one centimetre, to admit for a high flow oxygen and observe for 24 hours. Just as a uh, small... A side point. So the reason why it's two centimeters, I think, is um, so two centimeters at the you know mid lung point. Uh, so two centimeters down at that point roughly equates to probably a fifty percent reduction in the lung volume. So fifty percent of the chest cavity is probably pneumothorax if you're two centimeters. So it's, if you look at CTs of a pneumothorax, then it's much bigger than you might expect on um, on plain film. And I guess other things to, to think about uh, in terms of managing the pneumothorax uh, after it in terms of outpatient management. So thinking about giving them some advice uh, with regards to not sort of diving. And I think that's for life, if, if, if I'm not mistaken. Is that, is that right? Uh, yes, no, no diving for life unless you've had a surgical pleurodesis. And also to avoid sort of air travel. Uh, for at least one week post resolution of the pneumothorax and you've got to get some chest x-ray evidence of the resolution and obviously think about smoking cessation as well if, if they are a smoker because that obviously puts your risk up uh, for recurrent uh, subsequent pneumothorax. Yeah uh, the, the only other thing to mention would be you know probably not particularly relevant for the interview but be aware of the complications of um pneumothorax, particularly persistent air leak, so just failure to resolve with a chest strain. And just to be aware that sometimes if people have a persistent air leak, they end up needing a, um, a VAT pleurolesis as an inpatient. 
Um, so, you know, just to be aware that sometimes thoracic surgeons are needed acutely as well, or not acutely, but in the admission. Yeah, so I think, again, you know, the main points of, of, of the pneumothorax is, is making sure that you can sort of identify one and knowing promptly when to escalate uh, when, you know, what looks like a tension pneumothorax or whether they've got any other high risk features. Um, but I think in the interview, they, they make it sort of fairly obvious that, that, that it's going to be a pneumothorax uh, that, that you're dealing with. Um, so they're not out there to trick you or, or try and sort of confuse you because um, they want to know how you would manage the pneumothorax. They won't sort of you know, take you to going down a complete different route. Um, so, Tom, I think that's everything that I had. Do you want to just uh, talk about maybe what kind of things that you would want to know from an escalation point of view? Uh, what sort of what you want an SHO to escalate to, to yourself? Uh, so I'd want to know, obviously, if there's any evidence of or, con or concern about uh, tension pneumothorax. I mean, to be honest, as the medical urge, I want to know about anyone with a pneumothorax, whether they've got a drain or not, to be honest, um, because if they don't have a drain, then they might need one overnight emergently. Um, and if they do have a drain, should be aware of it anyway, in case there's any issues in its management. So yeah, I'd always want to know about someone with a pneumothorax. Um, other things to flag would be if they develop any um, surgical emphysema as well. Um, that would be a, a red flag and I'd want to know about that. Great. Um, and if you just want to sort of sum up the whole session by talking about some of the pertinent points uh, of pneumothorax. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think in, a, in an interview station, you'd want to um, fairly rapidly establish the likely diagnosis, try and classify it into primary and secondary, um, show awareness of the um, of the BTS guidelines and the initial steps in management um, and appropriately contact MedReg slash respiratory um, about um, the management plan. Um, something else to be aware of uh, might also be the existence of, um, you know, plural clinics. So a lot of these patients can be managed as an outpatient ambulatory uh, now. So again, something to discuss with respiratory and be aware that it could be an option. Great. Uh, well, thank you very much, Tom. Great. Thank you very much.